You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. So we've been going through a series in the book of Acts, and we've been learning that God uses a variety of things to build his church, like a, a contractor who, when he's building something, uh, uses a variety of tools. He might use a table saw, he might use a hammer, he might use a level, he might use a screwdriver. And like the contractor, God uses different things to build his church. He uses prayer, he uses preaching, he uses worship, and he uses evangelism, which we are going to be talking about today. And evangelism is something that we, as Christians, we should want to do well. And so we are going to look at the book of Acts and to to see how they did evangelism, to learn from them. And today, we are going to look at the entire book. So I just want you to understand that. So I need you to stick with me. We are going to turn, and we're going to turn a lot. Because we're going to go through all 28 chapters, and we're going to just learn from them how they went about sharing their faith with those who were not trusting uh, in Jesus because they wanted to see people come to faith in Christ, because as we follow the example that they put in front of us and, and share our faith, as we actively go out and tell people about Jesus, God is going to use that. He's going to use that to save people and continue to build his church. So again, we are going to turn, uh, but turning is going to be very important, because if you don't stick with me, some things might not make sense. So just let me pray for us. Right? Because it's going to take a lot out of me, it's going to take a lot out of you, but it's going to be good. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word and that you love us enough to not leave us here wondering. You have given us the word. Lord, you have, you have uh, moved men to write and then you have guided how they, they written by your spirit. And then you gave us your spirit to help us understand the word of God. So I pray that you would help now, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to see, and you would, you would convict and you would encourage wherever you want, and uh, that you would help us to leave here changed, and that we would, we would go about sharing our faith, that those who are not trusting in Christ would be saved through our witness. So I pray you would help me to communicate clearly, Lord, to your people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you like to write things down, you can put this down. God builds this church through evangelism that is empowered by the Spirit. He builds this church through evangelism that is empowered by the Spirit. Doing evangelism in the power of the Spirit is so important that Jesus wouldn't let the disciples leave Jerusalem without him. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is like, wait for the Spirit to come. And here's why, Acts Acts 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has, has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, uh, it's like an athlete who hasn't eaten for four or five weeks. If that athlete gets put into the game with no food in their body, there'd be no strength. And the same way food gives the athlete strength, the Holy Spirit gives the believer strength to share their faith. And so Jesus says, wait, go in the power 
of the Spirit. If we are going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, like the Bible talks about and calls us to, it has to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see this power on display when Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2 verse 4, it says, Peter and the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, there was, you, you, you read that, that, that passage and you see Peter preaching and thousands of people get saved and you'd be tempted to think that it was Peter. There's nothing special about Peter. He's just a guy. A guy, though, who's empowered by the Spirit and the Spirit gives him the power to speak clearly and boldly and many lives get changed. But it's a Spirit-empowered evangelism that is taking place. And in chapter 3, we see the lame beggar get healed. And then Peter does more evangelism in Solomon's portico. And then in chapter 4, we find out that there's the rulers, the leaders, uh, don't like what's happening. And so they order them to stop. They don't want any more evangelism taking place. So in Acts 4, though, we're told that Peter was filled with the Spirit. That he's filled with the Spirit. And here's what the Spirit leads him to say. Acts 4, verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then in verse 19, it says, Whether it's right, this is Peter, in the sight of God to listen to you rather than, uh, rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The Spirit empowers Peter to say we can't stop speaking about what we have heard. And he empowers Peter to tell them the one way that every single person on earth can be saved. And then as Peter says this, the rulers threaten them and order them to stop. But they are committed, the apostles are committed to evangelism. And so they pray for boldness. Look at Acts 4 verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which uh, they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Spirit-empowered boldness. Now, boldness doesn't mean talking loud. That's not boldness. You can be bold over a cup of overpriced latte at Starbucks with a friend that you care about, just courageously telling them the truth about Jesus. You can be bold on a street corner, just politely stopping people and engaging in your faith. It's not loudness. Boldness is courageous clarity, telling people what, who Jesus is and what he has done. It was the spirit that empowered them to continue in this, in this bold evangelism. If we don't do evangelism in the power of the spirit, we will be frustrated and discouraged. And so we need to follow the example that is set before us. We, some of us in this room are gonna be with people in our lives th tonight because it's Thanksgiving that aren't in Christ. 
And we need to follow the example and pray that God would fill us with his spirit to courageously speak clearly if the opportunity arises so that those who are not trusting in Jesus would turn to him. In chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they die because of their dishonesty. Uh, There's many signs and wonders, we're told, being done through the apostles, and then the apostles are arrested. They're arrested and thrown in prison. And you would think that this happening would cause them to give in to the fear of man. Now, I will say this. On your sermon note, this point is in the wrong spot, okay? This is point number two, but it's actually showing up on your sermon note as point number three. But this is point number two, which is God builds his church through evangelism that is free from the fear of man. That is free from the fear of man. So they get thrown in jail. And look at Acts chapter 5, verse 19. It says, but during the night, as they're in jail, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So they get thrown in jail. There's a miraculous rescue. And the angel says, go back to the people who threw you in jail. Go right back to the temple and speak to them all the words of this life. Tell them all that they need to hear in order to be saved. Now, they have to be free on some level of the fear of man in order to do this. And the fear of man is something all of us struggle with. If you are sitting in front of someone and they look you in the face and they say, I do not struggle with the fear of man, they're lying to you. The fear of man is a legitimate struggle for every single person. Here's one clear and simple example. Don't you find sometimes when you've had an embarrassing moment that you just replay that moment over and over in your head? You get by yourself and you start thinking, wow, I wonder how bad I looked in front of those people. Wow, I wonder what they were thinking when that like uh, foolish thing came out of my mouth. I experienced this just last week. We were in a staff meeting, and I was convinced that I had a joke that everybody needed to hear. That's right. So Ted is leading the meeting, and I say to Ted, hey, hey Ted, can I tell this joke? And Ted's the gracious guy, and he's like, sure, Marv. And I'm thinking in my head, this is going to slay him. This is going to get, everyone's going to laugh here. One person laughed. And it was Deb, and I'm sure she did it because she felt bad for me. So then I go back to my desk, and you know what I start doing? Why did I say that? I must have looked so foolish. But it's the fear of man. I'm, cons- what are pe- I'm wondering, what are people thinking about me? All of us do that. But the apostles at this point, they do not give in to the fear of man. And here's how we know. They, go, they get dragged in front of the council again because they go on speaking. They do go back into the temple, and they do speak, and then they get dragged In And they order them to stop. But look at what Peter says in Acts 5, verse 29. It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. He says, we can't stop. We can't listen to you because we have to obey God. Now, Peter's response in that chapter earns them a beating. Now, you would think getting beaten would also stop them, but they're not afraid of men. Because look at Acts 4. Uh, Acts 5, verse 42. 
It says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Every single day they went on speaking. No fear of man. See, when we choose to evangelize, when we choose to share our faith, it's, it's a real possibility that people are going to try to get us to stop. People may even threaten us. But we have to look at those people and we have to say, I have to obey what God has called me to do rather than what you're trying to stop me from doing. Because we're called to obey God rather than men. In Acts 6, we see that seven get chosen to serve and that's because the widows are being neglected and so they need to be cared for. And, and then also in that chapter, we meet Stephen. Now the thing about Stephen is, he doesn't just get beaten for his faith. Stephen gets murdered. He gets murdered for his faith. And, and all through chapter 7, Stephen walks them through, the, the rulers at the, at the time, he walks them through their history. And there's no fear whatsoever that he has of them because as he walks them through their history, he tells them about their sin. And then he finally says this, Acts 7, verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they grounded their teeth at him. That would look weird, right? I'd just be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> they grounded their teeth at him. There's anger here. The, the, the Bible's trying to let us know that they want to they wipe him off the face of the earth. They want him gone. But there's no fear in Stephen at all. Look at verse 55. He's filled with the Spirit. It says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, Spirit-empowered evangelism, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen here is focused on Jesus. And because he's focused on Jesus, he's filled with the spirit and he overcomes the fear of man. The way you overcome the fear of man in your life is to get your eyes off people and to put your eyes on Jesus. Because when your eyes are on Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit and you stop fearing those people and you start telling them the thing that they need to hear, the gospel. And so what happens is Jesus gets big and people become small. Our eyes have to go off people and on to Jesus and then we overcome the fear of man and go on speaking. In chapter 8, Saul, it says, is ravaging the church. He's terrorizing the church. Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria. The Simon the magician tries to buy the Holy Spirit. That doesn't turn out very well for him. The Philippian, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch meet, and he leads him to Christ by helping him understand the text of Scripture that he's reading. And then in chapter 9, we see Saul, who becomes Paul, that he gets saved. And this is the part of the book of Acts where you start to see the boundaries that are set up between Jews and Gentiles starting to come down. And this is point number three. God builds his church through evangelism that is breaking down boundaries. Evangelism that is breaking down boundaries. Paul gets saved 
but people are still terrified of him. And God sends Ananias to meet with Paul. But this is what Ananias says. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 13. It says, But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He's afraid of him. Verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So God answers Ananias' objection. And through God's answer, we find out that the reason why Paul is going to suffer for the name of Jesus is because his evangelism is going to know no boundaries. It says he's going to speak before kings and Gentiles. And in verse 17 of chapter 9, it says that Paul was filled with the Spirit. And being Spirit-filled, immediately he starts proclaiming the gospel. And we see again, evangelism has to be done in the power of the Spirit. It's like water polo. You can't do it without water. And so we have to be filled with the Spirit. In chapter 10, we meet Cornelius. And Cornelius uh, gets told by God to send for Peter. And so Cornelius responds and, and he obeys and he sends for Peter. Now when he, the guys he sends to retrieve Peter, when they're on their way, Peter falls into a trance and in that trance, God tells Peter to not call anything he's created common. And that is God's way of helping Peter break down boundaries that were there between Jews and Gentiles. See, see Peter had never associated with a Gentile. And he, he says it, Acts 10 verse 28. So then he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for, for a Jew to associate or to visit another, another one of an, any, anyone of another na- uh, nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. See, when Peter steps through the doorway of Cornelius' house, he is breaking down lots of cultural boundaries. He is breaking down political boundaries. He's in the home of a Roman centurion. That is a Roman soldier who was actively involved in oppressing Jewish people. Jews hated centurions. But here's Peter. He's also breaking down racial and religious boundaries. Jews did not associate with Gentiles because Jews thought Gentiles were unclean. And so to interact with them, you would get unclean in their minds. So they never went around them. But Peter doesn't let any of those things stand in the way. He enters in and watch what God does as he speaks the gospel to them. Verse 44 of chapter 10. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter speaks. And God works powerfully through him and saves these people. If we are going to take the gospel to those who are lost, we can't let the cultural boundaries that we have set up get in the way. We can't let uh, religious boundaries stop us, racial boundaries, class and status boundaries. We have to be willing to talk to people who are not the same race as us, who are not from the same country as us, who don't think like us, who don't dress like us, who don't have the same status as us, who don't believe like we believe. 
Because the gospel is for everyone. And God is going to use, as we push through those boundaries that are all set up, as we push through those boundaries, God is going to save people through our faithful witness. And in chapter 11, Peter goes back and he reports to the church. He tells them what happened as he was there with the Gentiles and they rejoice over that. Then in chapter 12, we see that James gets killed and then Peter is thrown in jail. And more than likely, Peter was about to be murdered here, but they have a prayer meeting. Now they're praying and they don't actually expect him to show up to be rescued, but God answers their prayer, which is actually meant to tell us that God, prayer works. And so if you have a difficult situation in your life or there's someone in your life in a difficult situation, have a prayer meeting because God answers prayer. And then in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out on mission. And as Paul goes on mission, he uses various methods to his evangelism and he receives various responses. Acts 13, verse 5 says, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So as soon as they get to Salamis, it says they proclaimed. They didn't get to Salamis and take, you know, take, take a few people out for coffee. They proclaimed the gospel. This was one of the methods that he used. He heralded the message. And this should teach us that the primary activity of missions is to share the gospel. It's not wrong to go somewhere and do some humanitarian acts. Nothing wrong with that. To care for the hurting and the poor, and that's all of that stuff is good. But if you are somewhere, and the people that you are giving the water to because they don't have water, are outside of Jesus, they don't have faith in Christ, at some point, you've got to share the gospel with them. That's, that's what they need more than the water. They have to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And so the primary activity of missions is heralding the truth of the gospel. And as he heralds the truth, look what happens. Verse 8 says, But Alamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So we see a method of proclaiming. Then we see the response, one response, of opposition. This is a response we should expect. When we proclaim the gospel, we will receive opposition. But here's the thing. Opposition can't stop God from doing what he wants to do. Opposition can't stop God from saving. Look at verse 9. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, spirit-empowered evangelism, looked intently at him. You ever get stared down by someone before? That's what's happening here. He looks intently at him and said, you son of the devil. Now he says that. He calls him a son of the devil because anytime there's opposition to the gospel, it's satanic. That's why he says, you son of the devil. Satan hates, hates the preaching of the gospel. He hates what I'm doing right now. He hates that you're sitting here listening to me. He hates the gospel message going forward. And so he says, you son of the devil. Now, I'm not saying that's how you should talk to people who oppose you. <laughs> but that's what he says to him. And he says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. We're back in verse 10. 
full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Now, that would be kind of neat, right, if you had that in your back pocket. Oh, you're opposing the gospel message? You will be blind for a week. Come back in a week. You don't like what I'm saying about Jesus? Blind. You're upset with me about what I just said? Let me see. What am I going to pull out? Blind. That would just be a nice little thing that we could pull out. Anyway, verse 12. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He believed, it said. Opposition can't stop God from doing what he wants to do. And later on, in the same chapter, Paul receives more opposition. Verse 45, it says, of chapter 13, it says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So they're contradicting the message and insulting him as he does it. And so we have to be prepared for that. People are going to contradict our message. People may even insult us. TV and media will oppose the message of the gospel. Family members even who are not happy about where we're at and what we're saying will oppose the message of the gospel. We will receive opposition. But opposition can't stop God from doing what he wants to do. And that's why we keep speaking. Look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. So we will get the response of opposition, but we'll also get the response of belief. It says that as many as were appointed, that word's very important. You should just circle that. As many as were, because it's telling you, God is just like, That's, that one's mine, that one's mine, that was, yep, I'll take, yep, okay. As many as were appointed, Opposition can't stop God from doing what he wants to do. In verse uh, chapter 14, then, we see uh, that uh, Paul is facing more opposition. It says that when he gets to Lystra, he gets stoned, and it's not that kind of stone. Look at verse 19. It says, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Here's the other response that we should expect, that's real possible. Physical persecution. Physical persecution is a real possibility when we share our faith. They stone Paul and they drag him out. Now they drag him out of the city because they thought he was dead. And now you would think being stoned would stop him. You would think being stoned would cause him to give in to the fear of man, but it doesn't. Look at verse Look at verse uh, 20, 21. It says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul gets up. They kind of brush him off. They you know, bandage him. And then he goes right back to Lystra, it says. The place where they tried to kill him. No fear of man. Just a commitment, understanding that this, these are responses that we may receive, but that can't stop us from sharing 
our faith. Paul's courage is meant to challenge us, to challenge us, because when we do evangelism, physical persecution is a possibility. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter what kind of persecution we face. That persecution will never top the persecution that Jesus faced. And Jesus' persecution went all the way to the cross. And he goes to the cross and he dies for us. And as he dies on the cross, he opens that persecution led to the opening of, up of the door of salvation that many in this room have walked through. And as we walk through that door, trusting in Jesus, he fills us with the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to continue speaking. Because here's the thing, as you go through persecution, if that comes to you, you need to understand Jesus fully understands what you are experiencing because he's experienced it. And then you need to understand that Jesus is walking with you through that. And here's the other part. Jesus promises to right every single wrong done to us as we are bold in sharing our faith. And so with all of those, all of those truths, we continue speaking because many will come to Christ because opposition can't stop God from saving those who are his, not even physical persecution. So they continue proclaiming. In chapter 15, the Jerusalem council takes place and there's a letter sent to the Gentiles explaining how they're supposed to live in light of the fact that they're in Christ. And then in chapter 16, Paul meets Timothy. The Macedonian call takes place and the spirit is really guiding and directing where they're going to speak. The conversion of Lydia takes place. Paul and Silas are in prison and they sing in prison. Who would sing in prison? I'd, probably, I'd be like, how can we get out of here? But they're singing in a prison. And then uh, while they're in jail, the jailer gets converted because of more faithful evangelism and Paul goes to his house, then his whole house gets, gets saved. And then in chapter 17, we see Paul evangelizing again in the synagogue. Chapter 17, verse two, it says, and Paul went in as was his custom. This was a regular thing he did. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And so it says here, Paul is reasoning with them. He's reasoning with them from the scriptures, meaning that he, he actually listens to their worldview. He listens to the way that they think about life and then he tests that against scripture to show them the ways that they're not thinking rightly. Then it says he explained and he proved things to them, meaning that there was a careful back and forth question and answer happening. He listened to them. He listened to their questions and responded to them. He listened to their objections and, they, and he responds. And this is another method. This is apologetics. Paul is doing apologetics here, answering questions that they have. And we're told that some believed and some responded with jealousy and that some formed a mob. Again, various responses to our evangelism. Some believe, some get real upset. That persecution then prompts them to secretly leave at night because if they don't leave at night, they're going to get murdered. And Paul and his leaving, they end up in Berea. And in Berea, he preaches the gospel. And then as he's preaching, the people do something that all of us should do. They open the Bible. And they make sure that what he's saying matches with the text, right? As we sit under preaching, we shouldn't just drink everything down wholesale because the guy up, up top is speaking, he's got on a nice suit and he's got really good teeth. 
We should listen to what he's saying and we should go home and we should say, did what that guy just say, is that actually in the Bible? Does that line up with what I know from scripture? We should test what we are hearing. They examine the scriptures and that's a good example for us to follow. And so as Paul preaches in Berea, more persecution breaks, uh, breaks out that causes Paul to leave Berea and he ends up in Athens. Now while in Athens, Paul goes around like a tourist. He, he goes around and he checks things out. He gets to know the city and the people. And the people in Berea, sorry, in Athens, love to hear from Paul. They wanted to hear from Paul because they, it says that they loved new information. It says now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They were happy to hear from Paul. They're like those people who never get off the Facebook. Is that what it's called, the Facebook? They're never off Facebook. They're never off Twitter. Just like, what is the new information? I just want to know what's new. I never want to be behind. These people in Athens are very similar to people like today. I just never want to be out of the loop. What's the new stuff that I can find out? So they were happy to hear from Paul. And as Paul is there walking around observing, he finds out that these are people, this is a city full of people worshiping idols. The worship that should be going to God is going to wood and stone, false gods. And Luke tells us that Paul is provoked. And he's provoked, he says in verse 16. And this, and this being provoked leads him, moves him to go, and it says, he reasoned with them in the marketplace and the synagogue. See, Paul here is going anywhere where people convene to share the gospel with them. If we follow his example, that's like us going to the park, that's us going to the Starbucks, that's us going to the mall, that's us going to the cafeteria, that's us going to the student union building on our university campuses, anywhere where people are convening to share the gospel with them. So Paul gets to know the context and the people in Athens, and this is another method, cultural engagement. He's aware of the culture, the people, the context that they're in. And because he's aware, he can say this. Acts 17, verse 22, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What you therefore worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to, uh, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Everything you have in your life is from God. The breath that I'm taking right now is from God. The seat you're sitting on, from God. The car you drove in today, from God. And you're like, no, my money bought all those things. Well, God actually gave you the job and God gave you the breath to go to work. God sustained you through the night. The Psalm says, I laid down and I slept and I woke up because the Lord sustained me. Everything in our life is from God. And so Paul could speak that to them. And he says, and he made from a man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. If you live where you live, that was God's decision on that, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God is not far from us. Sometimes in our difficulties and our troubles, we think God's far. He is with us, walking, walking it through it with us, caring for us, though sometimes it feels like that's not the case. It says, yet 
He's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of the imag- and imagination of men. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And on this he has given assurance to all, raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but some said, we will hear you about this again. Various responses. Some mocked, but some said, we will hear you again. See, Paul here gets to know the people and the context that he's in. If we are going to reach people with the gospel, we have to be aware of some things about the people we're trying to reach with the gospel. We've got to be aware of the context. We've got to be aware of situations that are going on in their life because when we're aware of those things, those things we can speak directly to them. Paul can speak to their doubts about God because he knew that about them. He could even use, you notice, he uses one of their poets. He's aware of what the poetry, their poets have written. And he can use their, their poetry and use that to call them to repent and turn to God. He's aware of who he's with. And so in order to do that, we are going to have to build relationships with people who aren't saved. We have to have relationships with unbelievers that we are influencing them towards Christ. Like we're not saved to just stay in a bubble and just like wait for Jesus to come back. We're saved to be out there with people and this takes time. But we're called to build relationships with those who are not in Christ, get to know some things about them so we can speak to their life situations and point them to the one who can truly save them. We need to be ready and willing to use every method that's available to us. There's preaching. And maybe you're like, I'm not called to preaching. Then in your conversation, uphold the beauty and the power and necessity of preaching. People disparage preaching nowadays, but nowadays, but God uses that to save. Then there's apologetics, we, worldview critique. We need to listen and be willing and not just get mad because the person is pushing back on what we've said. Just to lovingly listen to them and answer their questions and objections. Cultural engagement, just getting to know our cultural context. What's going on in the world? Just being aware of that. What's going on in the, in the people in my life, in my family? What are they struggling with? Making note of that so you can speak to them. And then being ready for whatever response will come. Opposition, possible. Physical persecution, possible. Let's meet again. Did you notice one person in the text said, I, we could meet again. I would like to hear you speak on this again. That, all, that blew my mind when I, when I noticed that. that. That is a legitimate response. That is a person asking to have a relationship with you. Let's keep talking about this. And so we should be willing to do that. A doubt, disbelief, that's going to happen. Mocking. As Christians, we're going to get mocked. The things that we believe in to the world sound strange. They're going to make fun of us. And that's, that's okay. But that is a response. But don't miss the last one. Belief and baptism. God is going to save. It says that people who were appointed, he saved them. And that's encouragement to go on speaking. Because no matter what, some will be saved. Some people will trust in Jesus. And that makes whatever we face and go through worth it. There's a soul entering into salvation, a relationship with the one that need most.
And now in chapter 18, Paul leaves Athens and he ends up in Corinth. And while in Corinth, he receives really, really massive encouragement from God to continue sharing his faith. Acts 18, verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Paul on one night in a, one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And this encouragement that Paul gets is meant to be an encouragement to us also. The same way Jesus is with Paul, was with Paul, he is with us. This is the promise in the Great Commission. It says, I will be with you till the end of the age. Jesus promises his presence with us as we share our faith. In the same way Jesus had many people in the city of Corinth, he has many people in our city who he will save as we faithfully share the gospel with them. As if we're talking, the Spirit would speak to their hearts and they will enter into a relationship with the one that they need. Chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus. He's doing more evangelism. Keep turning with me. And as he's there, a riot breaks out because the people's lives are being changed and they're going from worshiping idols to worshiping God. Well, the idol makers are very upset about that because now they're losing money. And so a riot breaks out. In chapter 20, Paul speaks to the elders of Ephesus and he tells them to watch their life. He tells them how they are to live as spiritual leaders within the church so they're not hypocrites. And then he tells them how they're supposed to care for the sheep that God has saved, how to protect them because wolves are coming, so to be aware of that. Then in chapter 21, Paul gets thrown in jail in Jerusalem. He gets arrested. And you would think that him getting arrested would cause him to stop sharing his faith, but it doesn't. And that brings us to our final point, point number five. God builds his church through evangelism that is faithful in every circumstance. That is faithful in every circumstance. In chapter 22, before Paul gets put in jail, he shares his entire testimony. Then in chapter 23, there's a plot to kill him, but his nephew finds out about it, and his nephew, I didn't even know Paul had a nephew. Just kind of, just found that out this week. Here we go. And his nephew helps him out and he gets him out of it. And then he's sent to speak to Felix. And in chapter 24, he defends himself before Felix the governor. And all we see is faithful evangelism. Look at chapter 24. Chapter 24, he speaks before Felix. And look what he says. Chapter 24, verse 24. It says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Priscilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. Paul is in custody, but he's still on message. He's still sharing his faith. Nothing stops him from being faithful in every circumstance. Felix's rule comes to an end. And then he leaves Paul in prison. And in chapter 25, Paul speaks before Festus, who's the ruler who takes over after Felix. And then in chapter 26, Paul gets sent and he defends himself before King Agrippa. Now, if you remember, this is actually a fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus said that Paul would speak before kings. This is a fulfillment. He's, and here we see Paul speaking before King Agrippa. And it's a little side thing, but it's meant to tell us that we can trust the words of Jesus. 
The things that Jesus says will happen, will happen. And maybe you're in the room today and you're doubting the words of Jesus. Don't doubt the things that Jesus has said. What he says will come true. You can trust everything that he tells us. And so Paul is defending himself before King Agrippa. And here, here we see faithful evangelism. Chapter 26, verse 24, it says that he was, as he was saying these things in, defense, in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. So he's defending himself and Festus is like, you're a lunatic. And he's like, no, I'm not. 25, but Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly. Spirit empowered, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Look at the boldness. He's like, do you believe the prophets? I know. He doesn't even let him answer. I know you believe. And, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? The king understands what's going on. He understands that Paul is doing evangelism. He's like, in this short period of time that you have, would you persuade me to turn my life to Jesus? Would you really do that? He's aware. Paul is being faithful, doesn't stop. And then we see his heart, verse 29. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. This is the heart of Paul. He's like, Agrippa, I want you to be like me. I want you to know the love of Jesus. I want you to experience the life change that I've experienced. Think about this. Paul was a terrorist. Now he's an evangelist. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. He changes your life. And Paul says, I want you to be like me except for these shackles that I'm wearing. There's passion here. Don't you remember when you first got saved, the passion that you had? I remember this. When I first got saved, I wanted to tell everybody about the gospel. But then what happened after a while? Just kind of cooled down. We need to pray for a heart like this, that our heart would be that those who are not trusting in Jesus, anyone who we interact with, we would want to see them in a relationship with Christ. Paul says that here. You, Agrippa, I want you to be like me and everybody else in this room. He is faithful in his evangelism. And we, when we pray for a heart like this, we will not look for excuses to not evangelize. We won't let circumstances stop us from sharing our faith. We won't look for excuses. We'll start looking for opportunities to share the gospel with those who need to trust in Christ. In chapter 27, Paul sails for Rome. And as he's on his way to Rome, he ends up in a shipwreck. This guy had the craziest life. And then and the shipwreck, he washes up on a beach. Well, when they're on the beach, there's a snake who jumps out, a poisonous snake bites him, and he doesn't fall down and die. It's like, what would you have been like in that moment? That guy just got bit by a venomous snake, and he's not dead. It's like, I don't know what to do now. Like, he had a crazy life. The people even, they thought he was, they thought he was worthy of worship. The strangest life. And so he, 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 he survives that. Then he ends up in Rome, and as he's in Rome, in chapter 28, he's under house arrest. But even under house arrest, he's not just hanging out waiting. He's being faithful. Chapter 28, verse 23, says, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great number, 
From morning till evening, he expounded to them and testified to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. So we see faithful evangelism and we see various responses. Some were convinced, some disbelieved. And then verse 30 28 verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Spirit-empowered evangelism, faithful to the end. It says with all boldness. Paul is seeking to point people, regardless of the circumstance, to Christ. And he sets an example for us to follow. We should not let circumstances cause us to make excuses, but share our faith with those who need to trust in Christ. And so we see that God uses lots of things to build his church, and evangelism is one of those things that he uses. And when we, as spirit-empowered believers, get out there and share our faith, God will save many. We see that evangelism is actually extremely powerful, that God uses us, that nothing can stop him from saving those who are his. And so the early church, as we look through the entire book, they've shown us faithfulness. They've painted a picture for us of what it means to do evangelism, filled with the Spirit, free from the fear of man, using everything available to us and ready for however people will respond to us, being faithful in whatever the circumstance, knowing that as we do that, God will save many and continue to build his church that will last into eternity. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. And Lord, that you have given it to us and you, have, you are using it even in this moment to show us what it means to evangelize, to go after those who are not trusting in you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart like we saw the heart of Paul, that he, he wanted everyone to be like he was in Christ. And I pray we would want that for those who are lost. Some of us will leave this Jim today and we'll interact with unbelievers. I pray that you would give us opportunities and that you would give us courage to speak. And Lord, as we speak, I pray that those who are outside of Jesus would respond, that they would be saved, that they would trust in him. So God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that you have not left us without a word, but you've spoken to us. And Lord, thank you that in our evangelism that you are with us you say that you will be with us, Jesus, to the end of the age. And so I pray that we would trust that. And it's because of you that we can pray to God the Father, Jesus. Amen. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.